So I read the story of a man who took a slip of paper, and upon it he wrote three letters, G-O-D. And he showed it to his friend, who was plainly overcome with greed and had trouble worship with worship of wealth. And afterwards he took a coin, and having placed the coin over the slip of paper, he asked his friend the same question from a different perspective. Can you see God? And of course the man's friend said that he did not. And isn't that the way it is with all of us? Whatever things we place in front of God block our view of God. So this morning we're going to talk about what Christians call idolatry or idols. But really what we're talking about is anything that gets in the way, gets between us and our relationship with God. Things that we give greater priority to, things that we give greater focus to. Because naturally, it's a natural progression that if we give something greater focus and greater priority than God, then that gives God less focus and less priority. And priorities aren't really even that hard to figure out, though sometimes it's painful to admit when we look at it. There's three questions that can help us with that. The first is, what do you think about? What is it that occupies your mind? What is it that, that in, in your times with others that distracts you and pulls you away? What is it that you think about? The second is, where do you spend your money? You can look at your checkbook or your Quicken or your QuickBooks or your Microsoft money or whatever it is that you use. But where do you spend your money? And the third is, how do you spend your time? How do you spend your time? What are the things that occupy your time? Because if you answer those three questions honestly, honestly, you'll find out where your real priority is, where your authentic priority is in life. Not what you think it might be, but what it actually is. Not what you want others to think that it is, but what it actually is. And our passage today includes both the Israelites creating an idol and then Moses giving us a way to deal with creating idols. And what Moses did, I think, is really more important than what Israel did because it's really easy to create idols. It's a simple thing to do that. Take humility, courage, and strength to deal with the consequences of those created idols. So our passage today is Exodus 32, beginning at verse 1. The people saw that Moses was taking a long time to come down from the mountain. They gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come on, make us gods who can lead us. As for this man Moses who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't have a clue what's happened to him. Aaron said to them, All right, take out the gold rings from the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took out the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. He collected them and tied them up in a cloth. Then he made a metal image of a calf. And the people declared, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf. And Aaron announced, Tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. And they got up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought well-being sacrifices. And the people sat down to eat and drink, and then they got up to celebrate. The Lord spoke to Moses, Hurry up and go down. Your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt, are ruining everything. They've already abandoned the path that I commanded. They have made a metal bull calf for themselves. They bowed to it and offered sacrifices to it and declared, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I've been watching these people and have seen how stubborn they are. Now leave me alone and let my fury burn and devour them. Then I'll make a great nation out of you. 
But Moses pleaded with the Lord his God. Lord, why does your fury burn against your own people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and amazing force? Why should the Egyptians say he had an evil plan to take the people out and kill them in the mountains and so wipe them off the earth? Calm down your fierce anger. Change your mind about doing terrible things to your own people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, whom you yourself promised. I'll make your descendants as many as the stars in the sky, and I promise to give your descendants this whole land to possess for all time. Then the Lord changed his mind about the terrible things he said he would do to his people. So word of God for all people. Thanks be to God. So Moses goes up the hill, and he spends too long with God for the people, so they get antsy. And they actually want to do a good thing, right? They want to worship God. That's not a bad thing. But they've largely become Egyptians. That they spent centuries in Egypt, and, and so they decide to walk like an Egyptian, right? Can you remember the walk like an Well, that's what they were doing. They were, they were being like the Egyptians. See, the Egyptians, that's what the Egyptians did. They, you might have the body of, of, of a calf and the head of an eagle. You, you never knew what you were going to get with, with Egypt's gods. So they went, make us a god. Because they thought that's what well, that's what you do. You make a, make a statue, and that's what we worship. So they made their own liturgy gods, and we should really be able to relate to that because we have this tendency to do the same. We don't maybe melt down the gold. I, I love that it's the gold earrings of the suns. Like nothing against it. Well, I don't know. But in our country, we're Christians first, right? Isn't that how it works? We're Christians above and all, above all, and in America, we're Christians first and then Americans, right? I mean, our desire is to live out the American dream. How does that work with our Christianity? I don't know if you've ever actually looked up at the interpretation of what the American dream is, but I did. The American dream is a national ethos of the United States, a set of ideals in which freedom includes the opportunity for prosperity and success, and an upward social mobility achieved through hard work. I think that's pretty accurate. That's kind of what, we, what, what America's about. So our goal here is prosperity and success. But here's where the rub is for us as Christians, because we tend to define, define success how? Money. Financial prosperity. That's, if you have enough money, then, then, you're, then, then you're fulfilling the American dream. We begin to make idols out of different things in our lives, despite what our Bibles tell us about the dangers inherent in implementing and embracing a culture over our God. First John 2, 15-16 Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in it. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. And it's like, oh, oh, time. Wait a minute. That, that's not, that can't be right. I'm proud to be an American where at least I know I'm free. Right? I'm proud to be an American. That's got to have something to do with this. And the song actually does have it right. Because the song doesn't say, I'm proud to be an American, where at least I know I'm financially well off with a nice house with a career in two 
<laughs> freedom. It's a great gift for us in this country. We have freedom bought at a heavy price by many of our servicemen and women. And in fact, I want you to stay the date, December 13th, because we're going to do a benefit buffet for a wounded veteran, and we're working out the details of that, but stay the date. We want to support our military and our servicemen and women. But here's the thing, this is a freedom it, it, that it's not so that we can indulge in everything that we want. That's really not freedom. We are free to make choices. Yes. But upward mobility? Hey, hey, this that's not really a Christian idea. If it were, Jesus really messed up. Who did he have it? Yeah. He was interested in downward mobility. He's really wrong, right? Maybe our idea of success needs to be looked at. What do we make an idol of that? Now, our society wants us to take our eyes off the cross, right? It really does. Our society doesn't want us to look at sacrifice. It wants us to look at indulgence. You've earned it. Reward yourself. And there are a slew of idols that we battle today. And it's not wrong. These things are not inherently wrong in and of themselves. It becomes wrong when we begin to love these things and turn to them to satisfy and fulfill ourselves. And when we love these things more than we love God. The first is the most obvious. Money. Money, if I just have enough money, I'm going to be okay. My security blanket becomes having money in case something goes wrong in my life. And if I don't have enough money, then I'm going to work harder and do all of these things until I get enough money. You know the funny thing about money? The more you have, is there ever enough? It's a funny thing about money. Nothing wrong with money. Money's good thing. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Some of us make an idol out of religion. Ours is right, yours is wrong. I mean, I mentioned a couple of times I, when I read online stuff and I, and I look at the comment section and I watch Christians. Christians lambasting and, and criticizing and putting down other Christians. My religion is better than your religion. Within Christianity. Some of us, tradition becomes an idol. Becomes a sacred cow, a golden calf, if you will. The service must have these elements or else it's not church. Tradition or contemporary. People are making an idol out of contemporary worship. My worship is better than your worship. You know why we're here this morning? To worship God. To worship God. It's not right and it's not wrong. It's different. Myra touched on something earlier. 
when, when she talked about how the Psalms didn't have music at one point. And then they started adding music and it freaked everybody out who, who was used to not having music. And, and now that's changed. And if I can give you some solace if you're, if you're, if you're sitting this morning and going, you know, every, the church is changing and it's just not okay. Well, the church of your grandparents has, isn't the same for them as it is for you. And the church of your sons and daughters is going to be different yet. But the church beyond your sons and daughters, they're going to be saying the same thing. That's not church. That's not how you do church. That's not right. God is a living God, not a dead God. And that means that change is a part of our process inside the walls and outside the walls. And we have to be careful that we don't make idols and sacred cows out of things in the church, colors of carpet. I've had people leave the church over a color. They wanted, they wanted it to be red and they chose blue and they left the church. And I say that because we're going to paint the sanctuary soon. <laughs> and if you leave, I'm going to tell stories about it. <laughs> pleasure in our society. Pleasure becomes, this is, if it feels good, do it. Do it. Yeah. No. <laughs> Some of us in, uh, pursue our careers and the, uh, this idea of success and we exclude God from that process and it becomes all about what we accomplish, how, how we can gain material things and, and we gain social status and those kind of things and then that becomes its own idol and things come in on top of that. I want, now that I've got some social status, I want some power. I want to be able to influence other people. And it builds and all of these little things when you put them all together, continue to pull you away from God. Continue to pull you away from God. And we lose our way in pursuit of idols. We set our own goals and we exclude God. We have our own purposes without thinking about God. We have our own ideas, our own opinions. Control. Control. Christianity is not about us control. It's about us letting go of control. Amen! Yeah, amen. yeah we don't like to let go of control, but i got to tell you, if we don't let go of control, that means that we are holding something that God will do a much better job with. If we'll let it go. You ever watch the, the Finding Nemo? The seagulls, you remember the seagulls, what they said? Mine, 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 mine. That's the, our society today. Mine, mine, that's mine, mine, mine. 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 Self. And these are all deceptions. These are all things that pull us away. God. These are things that get between us and God, and they are sin. They are sin. The Greek word for sin is a word called hemarchia, it's an archery term. It simply means to miss the mark. So if God's will is the center of the bullseye, 
That's what we're shooting for. And when we sin, we miss the mark that God set for us. And idols cause us to miss the mark. They cause us to sin. Here's the thing. If I set the target over there, and I'm over here, and I'm shooting for the will of God, and I shoot, and I miss, like, I mean, I barely miss the target. I'm just a little bit off. You know what happens if I don't correct? Know where that arrow keeps going? Further and further from the, from the will of God. And what was once here, further and further, as I use idols to try to correct, as I think money is going to get me back on track, you know what's really happening? I'm further and further from the will of God. Social status is going to do it. Further from the will of God. Matthew is what you're saving at in times of crisis. Is it other than God? Because for most of us, it's money or possessions. That's what. That's kind of what undergirds us. If something goes wrong, you know, whatever it is. To, 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 to fall back on. So we miss the mark. We try to correct with the things of this world, money or more stuff to fix it or self-help or whatever it is in our culture that, that tells us it's the right thing. This is going to be the thing that brings you back on course. And we keep trying that stuff. We keep getting further and further and eventually we are truly lost and we are the product and we're in a pay payment. And we're cleaning up a pig pen going, how did this happen? How did this happen? There is no little G God, there is no golden calf that can bring us back to the will of God. The book called The Choice, the authors put it this way. Should we ever find ourselves in need, we are not to look to money, possessions, or people with money and possessions to solve our problems, but to the Father. To direct hope anywhere else is idolatrous thinking. And they go on to point out that this kind of thing has always been a challenge. Remember the feeding of the 5,000 men and however many kids and, and women were there as well? Well, the disciples saw this and they went, the only way we can deal with this is if we had 200 days wages. Then we could go out and buy enough food for all the people. That, you know, other than that, I, you know, send them away because there's no way. And what Jesus did? Well, there's a little boy who happened to have five loaves and two fish. So he said, well, you know, what, what do you have? And the little boy gives him what he had. And Jesus prayed. His, his safety net, it wasn't 200 days waiting. His safety net was, was his father in heaven. And I don't think that can be emphasized enough. You know how Moses dealt with, with God's anger at the Israelites? He pleaded with God. Why does your fury burn against your own people who you brought out of Egypt with great power? Don't let the Egyptians say he brought them out so that he could wipe them out. Change your mind about doing that. You made a promise. To Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob and Israel were the same person. He made a promise to them. And you know what God did? Say it with me. 
changed his mind. One more time. God changed his mind. If you ever are questioning, and we all do, by the way, whether prayer matters, God changed his mind. Because Moses went to God and pleaded with him. Now he pleaded with him along the lines of Scripture. God made a covenant and a promise. He didn't say, save them because I want you to. He went, Lord, but this is not who you are, and it's a promise that you've made. He prayed scripture. And he changed his mind. Here's an interesting thing. Jesus and Moses interceded on behalf of a larger group of people, and God responded. See, we're all going to lose our way at times. Everybody in this room has lost their way at times, will again, and it's okay. As long as we come back. We're going to go for it on a false path journey. Because the world wants us to. It's going to call us, call us, going to pull us off target. But here's the thing. God is waiting to respond to the call of his people. He's waiting to respond to your call. And I want to make this point too. The prayer here was made by someone other than the person benefiting from the prayer. See, it often takes humility to ask for help. Humility to ask for prayer takes courage. Because I'm letting you know I don't have it all together. I'm, and that vulnerability is scary. But when we're willing to do that, amazing things can happen. And it's been that way for since old times. There's some, some passages, Jeremiah 24-7. I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord, they will be my people, I will be their God, for they will return to me with all their heart. It's a matter of the heart. We're God's people. The Holy Spirit now lives in us. We have a nice building. This is not the temple of God. You are. You are the temple of God. Love the building. What's holy in here is famous code. Lisa Ruth. Robin Williams. That's what Even others. David Wilbur, who would have thought? <laughs> Christ in me That's what that's the power of God. Second Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. Even uh, the prophet Joel, chapter 2, he did not praise the Lord. Return to me with all your heart. heart. With fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart, not your garments. They used to rend their garments. Now it's our heart. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Are you struggling with missing the mark? Do you have idols in your life? Well, join the club, because each one of us in here has those things in our life that we wrestle with. And God loves each of us where we are, even as he seeks to help us grow to become more and more like him. 
So this week, those three questions, I want, I, I challenge you, I encourage you, spend some time with these. Find out where your priorities are. What do, what do you think about? That's the first question. What do I think about? Where do I spend my money? Where do I spend my money? And how do I spend my time? What do you think about? Where do I spend my money? How do I spend my time? Because if God is falling short in any of those areas, ask some trusted friends, trusted friends, to pray for you about that. To pray that 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 the door will become open, that you will ask, ask God into each of those areas that you need Him in. Because here's the thing. Just as he responded to the pleading of Moses, he will respond to intercessory prayer of his people. He will. He'll respond. It may not always be how you like it, but it'll be good for you. Amen. 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 Amen.